you've got your Bibles with you, turn with you to the book of Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. And I want you to be thinking about a question that I want to ask. And here's the question I want to ask you today to think about. We're going to share in just a minute part of it. But uh, I want you to think about the best parties, banquets, church word, fellowships that you've been to in life. All right? So think about your, those great moments. You know what I'm talking about, those great Times when you just look back and you remember it, uh, maybe it was a, a wedding or maybe it was a birthday party or a graduation party or it was some sort of milestone you achieved or maybe it was just an unexpected thing. Maybe you got together with some friends. Maybe it was the holidays. But I want you to think back to those moments and then I want you to answer this question as we kind of think through it together. What makes a great party, banquet, fellowship, what makes it so good? What are the elements that have to be there for it to be good? What, what? Food, right? Our teenage guys come strong with food, all right? Would you agree? If you want a great party, it has to have great food, all right? What else? The mature answer was friends. The teenage girls come strong with boys, all right? So some sort, it's the same kind of dynamic. You want people there, right? You want to have people there that, that you enjoy being around, you have good conversation. Maybe you've known them in the past, or maybe this, they're new people, but you're learning some things about them. All right, Josh, we got your hand raised like a proper presence. Gifts for other people, right, Joshua? Or for you? For you. That's what... So that makes birthday parties good, right? Uh, all right, so anything else? we got... We got some sort of gift, some sort of some some stuff there. We've got food, we've got good friends. Anything else? Silly string makes a party, right? Surprise of some sort. So some sort of some unexpectedness. All right, here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, the party that Jesus describes in a parable to some guys with whom he was eating. This is part of a series we've been doing on. Feasting with Jesus, lessons learned at the Savior's table. In the book of Luke, he eats all the time. He eats with people from different walks of life. He eats with sinners. He eats with tax collectors. He eats with Pharisees. Next week, we'll talk about him eating with his disciples. So he eats all the time in the book of Luke. And as he's eating, he's teaching. And so today, we're going to ask the question, what is he teaching in this setting? Now, he's going to talk to them about a grand banquet or a great party. All right? But we have to understand the setting of what's happening. And we're going to get to the party in just a minute, but we have to realize where he is. He has been invited to the after-worship meal on the Sabbath at a Pharisee's house. Now, when I grew up, uh, the biggest meal we would eat all week would often be Sunday afternoon. All right? Either uh, we go to my... Granny's house in uh, Dyersburg, or we'd go to Halls and eat with my Granny Larson, or we'd eat there at the house. But Mom or one of my grandmothers would always cook a big meal, and we'd eat. Family would all come together, and we'd all eat together. And it was the biggest meal of the week. We'd have leftovers on Monday from Sunday's meal. It was, uh, it was just where you had meat and vegetables, and you sat around the table. And it was just kind of a tradition that had been carried on for, for years, really, that after church on Sunday... You went to somebody's house and you had a big meal. Now, that's not as prevalent as it used to be. There's some of you that may still do that. But 
Well, I want you to get in your mind, if you've ever been a part of that, that kind of picture. Because that's what's happening here. The, the Pharisees have been to worship, probably. It's a Sabbath day. They've been to the synagogue. They've talked to some people. And then they come back and uh, they, they sit around the table and they have discussions. Now, they may have been having discussions about what was said in synagogue or what they've been talking about that week or they're asking theological questions or they're doing some different studies but they're wondering what's going on here they're having questions dialogue and they would often invite people to come eat with them and on this particular day they ask jesus to come now what jesus doesn't realize is he is being set up they've had him to their house before but the pharisees are becoming increasingly upset with the program and the ministry and the followers of Jesus. And as they become increasingly upset, they begin to ask more questions and they try to find more opportunities to trap him. So while they invite him to the dinner, they also invite a man who has dropsy. Now, how many of you know what dropsy is? One or two, all right? Dropsy is uh, was an illness where the cavities inside our body would f- fill up with fluid. And so they would become very bloated. The pressure from the fluid inside would begin to weigh on the internal organs. And it was a very painful, slow death. And so they invite this man to eat with them. And you would like to think it's for sympathetic reasons. We want this man here. We were excited about him. But they bring him just for the simple reason they want to trick Jesus. See, they hope when he gets there that Jesus will heal him. Because it's the Sabbath. And they have all these rules saying things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Not necessarily in the Old Testament, but things that they've come up with with what the Old Testament meant. So you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't be a part of this on the Sabbath. So they get Jesus there and they sit there and... They know, it's, it's, it, they, they just know, it's, it's, like, it's like putting something out there knowing that Jesus is going to react. And it tells us in the first part of chapter 14, there in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid or uh, afflicted with dropsy or edema. And, and Jesus sees him, they put him in a place where Jesus will see him and immediately Jesus knows that they're trying to trick him. Well, Jesus turns the table. And he asks them the question, he says, Guys, do you think it's okay to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the reason he asked them that question was was very simple. Because either answer they gave was going to be wrong in their own estimation. If they said, no, you never heal on the Sabbath, this man is sitting here and it looks like he is, they're being unsympathetic to him. But if they say, yes, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath, they have these rules and regulations. And so he realizes they can't answer that question. So he says, guys, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And I love what it says. It says, they kept silent. You ever been in a group of people and you ask a question and nobody answers? Like now would be a good time to answer, right? And people, you know, but not like that. You ask a question, you're expecting a response. Maybe you've been a Bible study leader or you've been with your kids or you've been around. And you say, so what do you think about what it says here? I think back to a movie that's been out for a long time now. But there's that scene in the movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off where the teacher just starts going, anyone? Anyone? He just keeps asking, right? 
that's kind of what happened here. Jesus says, hey guys, real quick, is it okay for me to heal on the Sabbath? Nothing. So he says, okay, I'll answer the question for you. You're not going to answer, I'll answer. He looks at the guys and says, says you're healed. Now, it would have been a dramatic thing. If this guy was healed, when, when he was healed by Jesus, the, the fluid would have gone away, the bloated part of his body would have, would, have, would have shrunk. He would have been normal looking very quickly. And Jesus says, now you can leave. It's interesting. Jesus isn't the one that gave out the invitations, but he realizes the only reason this guy was there was to trick him. So basically he says, you've been healed. They're done with you now. You can go on. And then he looks at them because he knows what's in their heart. And he says, guys, let me ask you a question. If on the Sabbath your ox or your son fell into uh, a place where he couldn't get out of, if it fell into a well, aren't you going to go pull him out? I mean, if your son falls in a well, you're not going to say to him, listen, I would love to put a rope down there and pull you up, but that would be considered work on the Sabbath. If you could just hang out till tomorrow, we'll be back to get you. He says, you're not going to do that. So why can't I heal this guy? So they think, well, <laughs> all right, so he did that. He gets around that case, and, and they begin to eat. And Jesus, this is one of the things I love about Jesus. Jesus realizes that he has gotten the advantage on them. He realizes that he can push some issues now. And he starts to, to kind of get on to them, saying, by the way, listen, I, I realize that, you know, in his mind what he's thinking, I realize you only invited that guy here to trick me, but that's really the kind of people you ought to be inviting. Don't, when you come to a party, don't go sit at the front. Don't act like you're the big shot so that when other people come in and they have to say to you, listen, you need to move on down the line. That it's humiliating. You need to take the lowest place out of place. And then if people come up and say, listen, you need to move up, then everybody goes, oh, wow, he, he thought of himself less. Basically, Jesus said, in life you can either choose humility or humiliation. But that's your two choices. And then he begins to talk to them about their guest list, saying, listen, and don't invite all the important people that can do stuff back for you. Invite people that can never pay you back. Now, the understanding that we can get from that passage is that we realize that Jesus has done exactly that for us. He has invited each and every one of us in this room into a relationship with Him, and we can give nothing back to Him at all. And then we get to verse 15, where He's going to tell about a party. In verse 15, He says this, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Well, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Or the idea there is the one who gets to be at the supper table in the kingdom of God is blessed. How great it will be, Jesus, when we all get around that table and we share a meal together. Now, we may not be sure. The Pharisee may have been even saying to Jesus, Listen, Jesus, it's going to be great to be there, but I don't know that you're going to be there. But it will be great when we are. And Jesus turns to him and says, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. Now let me just tell you as we begin this, the, the thought process that's going on here. Jesus is about to tell a parable, a story that's cast alongside a spiritual truth. And the parable will deal with what the kingdom of God will be like. Now, the kingdom of God is generally understood as the place where God is ruling and reigning. And so this is the uh, afterlife. This is heaven. This is eternity. This is starting with our understanding of Jesus now, but will be culminated in the future. So let me ask you a question. 
what do people think heaven's going to be like? And this is one of those, you know, just stare at me, okay? What, what do people say heaven's going to be like? What, what are we going to do in heaven? What do people think we're going to do? Sing. All the time. Every day. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Sit around and play some harps on some clouds. Because that's like a rocking party right there. What else? What do people say? We're going to get some wings and look like cute little angel babies. Right? What else? We're going to work. Well, we are getting so exciting here. We're going to sing all day, work. We're going to whistle while we work, I guess, while we sit on clouds playing our harps. All right? Uh, here's what I think. I think heaven needs a new PR person. All right? Because that doesn't sound like a great time, does it? I mean, does that sound like the kind of place where, like, like, if you want that in your life, you need to come. Woo, let's go. Let's rush for that. Oh, we, we've made heaven into something that doesn't sound kind of cool. Exciting. Jesus says, that's not what the kingdom of God's going to be like. Some of the things you mentioned will probably be there. I don't have any doubt there will be some worship. There will be some singing. Scripture teaches that we will, uh, we will do things that bring us enjoyment. We, we won't think of it as work, as what we think of work today, but there will be fulfillment and that we won't just be sitting around doing nothing. I think that will be a part of it. But Jesus says that life with me in eternity best resembles a grand party. That the kingdom of God is like the most intense, awesome party you have ever been to. Now, if you look through the rest of the Bible, it tells us that some of those things you identified as things that were vital for a great party will be there. It tells us that um, we'll be gathered together with all of these people who have been believers in Jesus for our, uh, throughout all the ages. And some of their names, you know, I'm always, it'd be interesting to see who you get to sit beside at the final celebration supper. I mean, you may be seated beside some people you know, Peter and James and John and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. They'll, they'll be there. But you may be seated beside somebody you've never met before, don't know their name, perhaps a pastor who gave his life defending the gospel in the Philippines under a militant regime. Perhaps a faithful follower of Jesus from 200 years ago that can tell you story after story about the way they serve the Lord. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be there with our spiritual family in Christ, sharing all the time about what Jesus did? You mentioned food, right? It tells us in this Bible there will be the best food you have ever eaten there. In fact, in Isaiah, it, it tells this story, and I, I think it's, it's just cool. It's talking about, we actually read it um, last week. But in Isaiah 25, 6, it says that there will be this feast, and it says the Lord Almighty Himself will prepare a feast. Now think about this for a minute. I, I occasionally watch the Food Network. Anybody watch Food Network out here? All right. And there are lots of good people on Food Network. One of my favorite shows on Food Network is Iron Chef. All right? Anybody watch Iron Chef? Just, all right. And, you know, they, they have these great things, and, and they tell you that, that the, the really great chefs can make food taste differently than other people. And I was like, oh, I mean, looks like they're cooking chicken to me, right? A couple of years ago, Susan and I were on vacation, or actually we were at a conference. And while we were there, we decided we would eat uh, one, of our, one of the meals at a, at a 
restaurant started by a guy named Emeril Lagasse. They know Emeril, right? Bam, that guy, the guy, the, the Cajun guy. And we went to this restaurant, and I'd heard all this stuff. And we looked at the uh, we looked at the menu, and my first thought at the menu was, I hope that's the number of calories in the dish, not the price of the dish. All right. You know, you look at that, you're like, whoo! And so Susan and I decided on a dish that we could afford, and we split it. Um, so we got one dish, and we split it, and it was very simple. It was uh, chicken that had been roasted over mashed potatoes. Now, I've had chicken and mashed potatoes a lot in my life. And I dove into that thing, and we ate it, and it was Unbelievable. I mean, it just tasted, I mean, you heard all that stuff, you're like, yeah, whatever. It just tasted differently when a guy that really knows what he's doing prepares it. Well, Scripture says here, I don't care who your favorite Iron Chef is, that at this feast, this party, the Lord Almighty is the one cooking it. It says the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wines and the best of meats. It tells us that at this marriage supper of the Lamb, the choicest cuts of meat prepared in the finest ways will be there for us all to enjoy. We'll be sitting around with people that have been following Jesus, sharing stories about what He is, and we will be eating the best food that has ever been created in the history of the world. Let me tell you some things that won't be there. Hamburger Helper will not be there. Amen? SpaghettiOs, not there. Ramen noodles, not going to make the cut. Alright? If you're sad about that, we got some talking to do. Chef Boy RD beef ravioli, not on the menu. Hot Pockets, not there. Let me just ask a question. Has anybody ever eaten a Hot Pocket and not burned your mouth? That stuff scalds me every time, right? Tuna helper, not going to be there. Taquitos. Does anybody know what taquitos are? I've got some in my freezer right now. I don't know. In fact, somebody suggested there will be no O's there. No Doritos, no Cheetos, no Fritos, no taquitos. All right? It's going to be the best stuff. Now, some of you say, well, I like all that stuff. That's because you haven't had a refined palate yet. A rescued, reformed, regenerated palate. All right? It's going to be amazing. And then it tells us that one of the things y'all didn't mention, but that is always good to have at a party, is something to do, some kind of entertainment, some kind of, some kind of activity, something to, somebody there to perform, or somebody that, there that's kind of a, a guest of honor, or, or some kind of something to do. And it tells us in Scripture that on that last day when we're gathered around, the one that will be the center of the attention is the one who is responsible for everybody in that place being there. And we'll look at the head table, and there'll be no doubt that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is the guest of honor. And we will look into His eyes and you will feel love like you have never felt and joy like you can't even imagine. And it says that our eternity will be spent in this perpetual celebration of who God is and what He has done 
with the best food and the best friends we could ever imagine. Now, that sounds a little better than sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Amen? And it says that's what's ahead. And so he says, there's this great banquet. In verse 14, he said, in chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, he says, a man was giving a large banquet and he invited many. He says, there's going to be a great banquet and I'm going to invite all of you to come and I've invited you. And in that day and time, when you invited people, you gave two invitations. You sent out the first invitation. Uh, in, in wedding culture today, it would be called the save the date card. All right. So you send out a card and say, listen, there's going to be a party. I need to know if you're there. And so maybe it's like a, a formal invitation mixed in with that. And so they would RSVP back. I'll be there. You let me know when the party's going to be. It'll happen. I'll be there. Once he got that back, he would say, okay, this is what I've got to do to have the party and so he would go and get the host would go get all the preparations ready get all the meat ready get all the food ready he get all the drinks ready he get all the all the servants ready to go he get everything prepared and when everything was just about prepared because in that day and time it was a little harder to say meet me at supper for six you know at six or six thirty you just couldn't do that so they would get everything prepared. And then when everything was prepared, they'd go back out and go, all right, it's time for the party. Everybody come on. It's going, let's go. It's kind of like on Sunday morning when you all know the service starts at 11 and you hang out in the hallway till 12 or at least 11.10. And I have to say, we're getting started. Y'all can come in now. Right? That's what was going on. He, so he's got the party ready. He says, this guy's got the party ready. And they go out and they say, listen, it's time to come in. The party's ready. We're ready. Come on. It's going to be awesome. And one by one, people start going, oh, I'd love to come. But um, well, I, listen, I, I just bought some real estate and I really need to go check that out. I, I mean, I, I'd love to come to your party, but I just can't right now. Well, here's the deal. I, I just bought this ox. And uh, I haven't really tried it out yet. I'm going to need some time to, to make sure it's working like, you know, that the ox is going to do what, what the ox is supposed to do. I'm going to need some time. Oh, oh, and wait, wait. Hey, here's the deal. I'd love to come. But I just got married. And my wife's not going to be real keen on this going to the party thing. So y'all have a great time. Send all my regards. But I'm not going to be able to come. So Jesus starts to tell them that. Without exception, it says in verse 18, they all began to make excuses. The verse one said, I bought a field, I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, I'm going to go try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married. And therefore I'm unable to come. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. And don't miss this, because this is the point of the whole parable. He is sitting around with a bunch of guys that think they know the truth and the answer to the question, are you going to spend eternity with God? And if you ask any one of them, they would have said, absolutely, because we've done all the right stuff. And Jesus basically says to them, there is going to be this unbelievable party. It is going to be like nothing you have ever seen, and none of you are coming. And he says it this way, they've made excuses. He is planning a party to end all parties. It's a feast. It's celebrating the conquering of Satan, sin, death, hell, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all who are invited, and they're all welcome to come. But 
He says, you're making excuses. We have excuses still in our day. Well, I'm not just sure about Jesus. Or I'm really busy working right now. Or I'm in college now. I'll worry about that later. Or I'm just in high school. What can I do? Or it's not a good season for me. Or my job is taking up all my time. Or, well, you know, I've got lots of hobbies. Or I've got tons of shows on my TiVo I need to catch up on. Or I'm working on my car. Or I'm working on my house. Or I've got kids right now. I don't have time for that kind of stuff. Or I'm single. These are my years just for me. I'll worry about that when I get married. Or our kids are grown. It's time for us to reflect back on who we are. Lame excuse after lame excuse. And he basically says to them, you're like the guys that earlier in life said, yes, we want to be at the party and I'm here now saying the time is now and you're saying, well, not right now, Jesus. It's kind of like people that say, well, at some point in my life I raised my hand for Jesus, I prayed a prayer, I went to church, I got baptized, I cried at camp, I came forward on an altar call, my grandmother told me I accepted Jesus. I did all that. And Jesus says, but where's the lifetime of commitment that follows? Jesus is basically telling me, it's not a one-time decision. It is a lifetime pursuit. It's kind of like, a, you know, one of the things as a pastor I get to do is I get to do weddings. Be like me standing up here and having a couple in front of me and she's wearing white and he's dressed up in his tux and they look at each other and they say to one another, to have and to hold from this day forward, forsaking all others in sickness and in health and richness and poverty till the day that the Lord separates us by death. Now here's the thing about that moment. That moment isn't what makes a great marriage. Because if three weeks later the guy decides that he's done with it, that moment holds no significance. It is a lifetime of commitment that makes a great marriage. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that you can lose your salvation once the Lord has saved you. What I am suggesting is that if your life shows no evidence of the Lord working through you or doing anything in your life, there's no fruit in your life, then you need to check whether or not you had a real experience with the Lord. Let me ask you, what's kept you from moving forward with Jesus? Because Jesus will tell him that this party is an open invitation party. Verse 21 says, So the slave came back, reported these things. Then in anger the master said, Go quickly to the streets and the alleys. Bring them in here, the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, he said, what you've ordered has been done. There's still room. And he says, Go into the highways and the lanes and make them come in. Compel them to come in. Tell them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of these men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Here's what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's sitting there with all these religious people. And some people would think this is cruel because what he does is he's sitting in a meal with a bunch of religious people. He's telling them this parable. And the guys in the story that represent the guys he's eating with aren't going to heaven. They're not going to make the party. They're not moving towards him. They're not going to make the party because even when they were little, if they said, I'll follow God, they haven't. Probably was a little bit of an awkward moment as Jesus is sitting there with all of these guys and he says to them, You think you're going to heaven? You're not. Here's the thing, church. As I stand and I preach every week, 
in this congregation to you, the people that are part of this congregation. In the area of the country in which we live, in the cultural climate in which we live, the thing that the thing that kind of drives me most, or the thing that 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 I feel like is hardest to communicate, is that we live among people all around us, and perhaps even sitting in the pews here today, who are confident that they're going to be at the party because of what they've done and who they are. And yet if Jesus were here, He would say to them, you're not going to make it. Because the only thing that shows your acceptance of the invitation to the party is your belief in Jesus Christ and that He alone saves and then a lifetime of commitment in following Him. That doesn't save you. It is just evidence of the truthfulness of your decision. And it's not in what you do. That doesn't save you. It's in the commitment that the Lord has to save you because of your response to Him. And Luke chapter 14, as bluntly as he can say it, he says to them, all these guys aren't going to be in and they think they are. And here's the amazing thing. They still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. It's like we said a couple of weeks ago. Their religion blinded them to the fact that God was in their midst. So let me ask you a question. Have you followed the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? Have you given your heart and your life to Him and then you have followed Him since then? I'm not saying being perfect because we're going to fail, we're going to falter. But does your life show a progression of obedience to Him? Some people say, Pastor, you shouldn't ask as pointed of the questions. You know people that are sensitive. Well, here's the thing. I'd rather ask the pointed questions than leave them unasked. So I ask you, you have a relationship with a living God. 